Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host Panos Anagnostou. And I'm your co-host Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog. My name is Panos, and today we have a guest, Kana Wrench, in from over Zoom. Welcome, Kana. How are you? Good. How are you? Very good, thanks. Luke was supposed to join us, and he lined up this this interview. However, he had a family emergency last minute, so he had to bail and get out of here. So now I'm up to doing the production stuff, which I'm so not used to doing. But we are here and we are live, and hopefully this records properly. But how have you been? It's been a while since you've been on the show, and... Lots of different things have happened in your life over the last couple of months. And f- tell us what's been happening. How have you been? Yeah, I've been good. Um, big changes been happening. So I think last time I was on the podcast, I was working with um, Pet Resorts and Canine Evolution, which I've recently just resigned from. So I've just kind of had a little bit of a break from dogs uh, over the last three, four months, just kind of figuring out what I want to do and what I where I want to go now because obviously I um, worked a lot with behavioral modification and if anyone is a trainer or has done training with behavioral mod after doing it over and over again it kind of you kind of get a little bit tired of it a little bit like oh there's so many like reactivity cases and aggression cases and it was nice to kind of just have a little break and reassess and just do like a normal job for once (laughs) so I kind of just went back to my old um like pet shop type of rural traders job and then I've just recently started to branch out and start my own little business called Educated Canine um, which is focusing mainly on like walk-in trains and a few private lessons here and there. But I'm hoping next year to start looking at doing some um, reactivity type of group classes and really going into being a big advocate for normalizing dogs that are reactive and like muzzle and crate training and kind of just educating people as much as possible through social media platforms and things like that. That's so cool to hear. Just to clear the air for everyone, if anyone's assuming, I know that you guys, you didn't leave pet resorts on any bad terms. It was all just your own personal journey because I still support them and I'm sure you still support them as well. And I love Glenn and the team. And, um, and yeah, and, there's, and it was nothing that happened specifically, but it's something about your own personal journey. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's correct. So I guess I kind of, um, had the opportunity to work with Glenn and everyone and really kind of get everything I really wanted to do there and really specialize in that behavioral mod and get that opportunity to work with a lot of dogs in being a boarding facility. Um, and I really respect working for like, that's where I started, but I kind of wanted to branch off and kind of see what else I can do with like detection dogs and working dogs now and kind of see what else is out there and learn a little bit more for myself. Um, so that's kind of, I really want to learn like the scent side of things now. That's like my main goal, um, is to look at becoming a detection handler someday, but hopefully sooner than later. So I'm kind of in the process of really trying to branch out into that type of thing at the moment. That's so Um, cool. Yeah. It's really exciting. It's one thing that I had a epiphany a couple of 
couple of years ago where I got to a point where I just see dogs for something that needs to be fixed. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you see a dog and you're like, oh, that dog has his issue and you can just see what's that and he needs to work on that. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm looking at him as a product rather than seeing them as a as an animal, as a dog. Like you kind of lose the journey along the way as a as a professional dog trainer. Now, in doing one-on-ones like in, in the nature that I do and then what you're going to start doing more of, you know, like teaching people and educating people and focusing on that. But especially in a boarding facility, you're just dog in, dog out, tick off the list, dog in, dog out, tick off the list. And and they really do become like a commodity rather than an actual thing. Like it, it, it's hard to to kind of separate that, especially when, especially in a, in a boarding facility. Is that is that something that you experience as well? Yeah. So like kind of like anything, I guess, like, when you first start out, you're extremely passionate and you're like, oh my God, this is great. And eventually, like, I'm still really passionate about dog training, but I did start to see myself like not even want to work my own dog and kind of just be like, oh, it's just a chore. And it's just like, I've already done this today. And it's kind of cool starting to see like now I'm getting back into training Noodle, my own dog, and kind of like having fun with her again because I'm not doing it every day, yeah. kind of like working. 20 dogs a day and things like that, which like that was great experience. Like I've been able to handle so many different dogs and kind of work with so many different people. And obviously working under Glenn, like learned so much, but I kind of just was like, I really want to get my passion back for actually working with the dog, but not just fixing the dog, as you said, because it does kind of become that you're like, Oh, I just need to fix it. And then next, and then fix that. And then next. And it's, it's kind of like, People with like who who's a mechanic, they never want to want to work on their own car, or like they yeah. kind of just it becomes their job. And I I wanted it to still be my passion and my job. It's so true, and also and and another thing that that comes up with that is you're from where you are now going into whether you go into you know um, detection training, whether you get into like some sort of working role, or if you work on working with owners and their dogs, your experience is exactly what a one-on-one trainer is really required. And and I really believe the same thing, you know, and I worked with so many in so many different companies and, and businesses in in a training as well as like a daycare and, and boarding facility. I got so so many hands on dogs that when it came into going into somebody's house and you can see those, oh I know what type of dog this is. And there's so many, so many trainers that have popped up that first of all don't even own a dog, which I think is ludicrous, but also have only had experiences just with their own dog or, you know, have worked a couple of dogs here and there. And I, my advice, not that they can't be successful, don't get me wrong, but I really believe you need to get your hands on dogs and you need to be training as many dogs as you can. So you know that when you go into the home and and the next skill that, you know, will be developed is what type of person are you? So then the combination between person combination between dog and then the combination of person and dog that's where you have to go oh you're that type of person and you're that type of dog all right i think this approach is going to be the best for you and that's where the experience is really necessary especially when it comes to working with aggression reactivity you know things that are a little bit more heavy duty not just working on obedience but even more important you want to see then okay look look at this little young puppy and look at the behaviors that it's showing now yeah you're only eight weeks old and you're cute but this is going to become a problem as you get older and I can see it. So this is what I'm going to get you to work on now because I know what that's going to look like in eight months time. 
So we're going to fix this now. And you may not know why we're doing this. Like, for example, something that a lot of my clients don't really understand. When you're taking that little young puppy, 12 weeks old, you're out and about, you're not teaching that dog or that puppy commands. You're just teaching them, focus on me. Oh, mark it right now. Just mark it. Boom. Because the the motorbike went past, for example, or, or a dog barked. And there's a subtle subtle little behavior that happened that nobody really sees unless until you start to see, oh, yeah, we ignored that. And now eight months later, it become a problem. So yeah. it's it's so important to get that raw experience and get your hands on dogs as much as you can. But a lot of people, let's just say, you know, they've at the end of their 20s, beginning of their 30s, things are a bit more real. You know, you need to pay more bills, more rent. It's hard to get a get that experience. So we want to rush into it. But I think somebody in your situation and with your experience can enter the the industry, you know, and and start running your own show with with so much um, experience on you know under your belt, which is so so valuable and something that we really need because our industry in the last five years has become saturated with uh, so many trainers. Well, trainers, and I put the quoting unquote um, fingers here to and it's and it's disappointing. We just did an episode no, two episodes ago talking about trainer hoppers people seeing so many different trainers and some of the feedback that I'm getting from these from these people that are pay, that are charging top dollar and they're giving the worst advice actually in fact they're not even really giving advice i just saw another client today and she's got like a little pug cross beagle cute little thing but she, her comment was oh i had a trainer and she said and i asked her i want to be able to tie the dog up so i can like, go into the cafe but the dog gets a little bit anxious and like barks and she goes well if the dog gets anxious then don't tie her up i'm like but but I'm asking you, how do I stop her from being anxious when I tie it up? And she says not to do it. But I'm like, no, this is what we're going to do. And I gave her a couple of things to work on. We're going to catch up another three, four weeks, and we're going to advance on that. And whether whether the dog doesn't really respond very well to it, then we can change the approach a little bit. We'll just work and adapt around it. But to say that, no, just don't do it, that just shows that you haven't got enough experience, that you haven't even practiced it. And I know someone has to start somewhere. I totally appreciate that. But- it's pretty disappointing and it's going to make a bad, give a bad taste into people going, well, look, I saw three people and they're useless. Dog trainers suck. So yeah. that's a problem, right? And that's, yeah, I've seen it as well with a few of like my clients and they're like, oh, we've, we've tried three trainers and nothing, like we haven't gotten where we wanted. And then I come along and then we do a few basic stuff and they're like, oh, I wish they told me that. And I'm like, <laughs> but I guess everything will like, Everyone has different ways of doing things True. and don't respond differently to different things. But I guess it's kind of like you got to find the right trainer for the right client as well. It's kind of like a like fitting a perfect shoe. Because yeah. like sometimes I don't click with a client or a dog and I'm like, okay, I'm going to refer it to someone else or mm-hmm. refer to me because they're just like, I just can't seem to get through to these people or the dog. And it's just, I guess it's hard because you don't want – people to kind of not get trainers because I think a lot of people are like, oh, we don't get dog trainers because like they're expensive or we've used some and it hasn't worked. So then it kind of puts that bad taste in their mouth and then they don't try again, which is kind of sad because you've got to look yeah. at it like if you see a doctor and they don't fix the problem, you don't just not go and fix it. You go to another doctor or you seek different medical advice. Of course. So, Oh, yeah. there's plenty of times where I see a dog and I'm like, I think they're going to benefit from a board and train. Go out to Pet yeah. Resorts. Canine Evolution is going to help you out because this dog needs specific 
things that you can't provide and I can't come every day and work on this. So do them two or three week board and train, work on all the things that need to be worked on. And then whether the staff will, and the trainers there will continue training or we come back because we all train very, very similar. And then we can continue that progress. And, and that has really helped. So I guess we can just jump straight into talking about, you know, the reactive dog classes, something that I've started in the last, well, I started before lockdown and then that kind of got all screwed up. And then we started ramping that again, maybe about six months ago. And it's been really fun. I was pretty opposed to it at first, only because, well, to have 10, 12, 14 people in their dogs all in one space kind of, you know, gave me a bit of a headache just thinking about it. But it's but I found my knack, I found my groove, and the way that I run it, I like it, I like it to be a certain way. And the way that I the way that I've been doing it is I want to see you once, twice, or maybe three times. I assess the dog, say, look, I think your dog's ready. We can't go hunt down every single dog on the street because it's kind of rude. <laughs> it's a little bit freaky. And yeah. it's nice to be able to have so I hire at a school um, local to me. So we've got a nice big, and this school is huge. It's massive. And we can have the ability to have, you know, last. So yesterday was week one of the four week block. And we have, and most of the dogs there, uh, you know, they, they bark, they react. Some of them are aggressive and some are just happy go lucky dogs. They just need to have a couple of dogs around so they can work their obedience skills. And yesterday was actually really successful. The calmest session one I've ever done was actually kind of, I was a little bit disappointed. I'm like, I want a bit more activity here today, but it was good, right? And it's nice to be able to assess the dogs first because for me, I don't think having complete brand new people and having 10 of them all at once, I just think that's a bit of a headache. And you want to kind of assess the dogs if they're going to be ready for it, et cetera. But it's been really fun. It's been really beneficial. And as long as we can cross-culture what we learn in class and what could be worked on out in the street, because, of course, we're setting up the situation for success and we start off the the beginning of the class, like the, um, what Josh Moran taught, you know, the whole social walk, you know, everyone walks around a circle. And I think that was like the best advice that he gave. When I saw that, I'm like, oh, my God, of course you do that. Because every other time we handle the class, all right, keep your dog in a sit and wait for everyone to come. That's like the worst idea in the world. <laughs> so um, what were you thinking? And, you know, next year is like a month and a half away. It's not even that far away. So what are you thinking of starting? How how would you like to to run it? And from your your experience, what are your ideas and how many dogs and, and things like that? Yeah, so I guess um, I'm kind of in the planning phase still because I've got a few things happening next year, getting married and all that. So I'm Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, trying to make sure it all fits in so that I don't like commit to something and then have to pause the class and things like that. But I want to obviously focus on those dogs that kind of are those little bit unruly, but doing same thing with a lesson, kind of few lessons to be like, okay, you can now come into the class. You're ready. You've got your leash handling. You know how to control your dog because you don't want it to be unsafe. And you also don't want the client to get a little bit uneasy about it. Yeah, and be yeah. like, oh, a bad idea. And because mm-hmm. you've, as you know, with a lot of your reactivity, you've got to kind of pep the client back up because they just feel so guilty and they're embarrassed by their dog. So I don't want to send them into where the dog's losing its mind and them not have the tools to go through it. Totally. Um, but kind of make that community for those dog owners because every time you see someone with a react dog or a dog that's a little bit a handful of, uh, I call them spirited mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit spirited 
people are always just kind of like shaking their heads or judging or being like, oh, that dog shouldn't be here. And it's kind of like the naughty kid and mm-hmm. everyone gets judged with the naughty kid. So I want to make that group where people are just going to be doing their own thing, doing exercises, working on their muscle training, but being able to feel confident that they're not going to get judged. And if they do correct their dog or their dog does have a meltdown and do the flipping on the lead and all that, that people are just going to be like, yeah, that's normal. That's we were there. <laughs> yeah, we get it. You'll get past and show them that there is like, there is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel because some people may be further along in the group than like the newcomers and then they can be like, oh, my dog was like that six months ago and kind of have that for them. So I'm looking at kind of doing it where I'm working in retail at the moment because they are in like a big shed area, industrial, big car park with a giant oval next door so that we can kind of have that space for the decompression and like any dog that's kind of losing it, they can kind of just go for a walk on the oval and come back. Um, And just really just more kind of, it's more for the clients and the dogs to really Mm -hmm. get their confidence in handling them. Um, So I'm hoping maybe around February, um, but it all depends on like what's going on with next year. And if I somehow get, a magical job in detection or look at doing whatever ever else and book holidays and all of that. So it's kind of, there's a few different things going at the moment that I'm not really sure what's going to happen next year. So Exactly. Another thing yeah. is well, like talking about the, the owner side of things is that if you're, whoever's listening is a owner of a dog that reacts and this is the kind of defined reactivity, reactivity because yeah. so many people don't like the word, but we've got to use it because it's a word that gets used. And also it kind of defines what we're talking about. It's a dog that reacts to something, usually reacts to a person or a dog and reactivity can be frustration. It could be overexcitement. It could be fear. It could be, you know, it, or, or aggression. It could be anything that the dog reacts in an undesirable manner, barking, lunging, growling, flipping, crocodile rolling all the rest of it and and it's and it can be and it can come from so many different ways doesn't mean that if your dog's reactive it doesn't mean the dog's aggressive or 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 defensive it could just be that the dog's so excited and doesn't like the fact that we're blocking it on the leash and that it acts out and most of the time the dog may get what it wants whether it makes the dog go away in its mind perceived in its mind or the dog barks and carries on and then we let them say hello to each other so some, it gets reinforced one way or another, hence why the behavior continues to happen and, of course, why it gets more intense over time. And if you're a person with a reactive dog, you think you're all alone in the world. It's like, oh, it's me, my freaking boofhead dog, always acting like a fool while we're out walking. And it's like, well, come to reactive dog class because you'll see dogs act even worse than your dog. And you'd be like, oh, we're, we're all – all the misfits are here together sort of thing, you know? And – Another th- cool thing um, that, like, you know, sharing some advice that, that I did is, like, every time we do a, um, a, a block, so the four weeks, we uh, set up a new WhatsApp group. Everyone communicates within each other. And I've got a couple of girls that train their dogs um, local to the area who've been coming to group class, and I've got Nez who helps me out as well. She um, 
they were like, hey, 6.30 Friday morning, we're meeting up and we're going to do some training. So let's meet up. And what's been really cool and one thing that I really want to encourage is networking and, and, and creating a bit of a community. Let's normalize dog training to be a thing that you just do with your dog, like servicing your car or, you know, working out and being strong and fit and flexible. Like it should just be normal things that you do to maintain the things you have. And training your dog should just be normal. It shouldn't be, oh, I used to train my dog and now I don't. Like, what do you mean? You're always training your dog, whether you like it or not. Your dog's always learning and it should be more of a focused thing. So that's what I, that's what I like the classes to become more about and also to see it outside of training, like outside of training, that it becomes like, yeah, we just, we work our dogs because this is the thing that we do. And I think hopefully if we don't get disrupted by, you know, policies and politics and all the rest of it, hopefully it's a thing that becomes more of a popular activity with your dogs over the years to come. But far out, that's a whole other conversation, right? Because we, 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 we want to see light at the end of the tunnel, but sometimes there's a bit of dark skies of like, oh, my gosh, what do you mean you're going to take these tools off us or you're going to, you know, give us a bad name and whatever, whatever, which is probably an exhausting and depressing conversation to have. Yep, it sure is. But, yeah, like <laughs> – the idea of, I guess, like, you probably get all the time, like, everyone's like, oh, we went to puppy school. And I'm like, yep, you went to puppy school. Um, I also went to preschool, but then I also <laughs> needs of schooling plus university plus TAFE. Like, it's important that we kind of get – can you hear me? Yes, I can. Sorry. Did I? Sorry, you keep talking. I just had a had something come up here, um, and we may have to stop it and then start it again. But that's okay. You just keep talking. I'm so sorry about that. That's all right. Um, this so, is what happens when Luke leaves, and I have to do the. Well, it, like, it zoomed out, and I was like, "Did did I go somewhere? Like, am I still here?" And I was so like, Luke, when you're listening to this, we need you here for our production team because <laughs> Panos is in charge now. <laughs> stuffed us because. <laughs> <laughs> you had to be a supporting husband. Not okay. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, with like puppy school, like it's great and it's great for like those very basic things. But like as you're saying, it's not something that it doesn't just stop at puppy school. Like I didn't go to school for 13 years for no reason and I didn't do my NDTF just because like it's because we need to keep learning and things like that. And that's what dog training is. It shouldn't just be an extra thing when the dog's doing something wrong or you want the dog to stop doing something, it should be just a natural, oh, let's go for a walk and train our dog. Like, as you said, it should just be normalized because a lot of dogs' issues would just come from working them and biologically fulfilling them through doing some obedience or doing some trick training or working on their reactivity because most of it is overexcitement, which then turns into frustration and then they're just yelling at everyone. Exactly. <laughs> that's kind of what we want to do with, with the reactivity classes is build that community and get clients like excited to train their dog and work with their dog and see those results. Cause there's nothing more exciting than like someone being like, Oh, I, I don't think like we'll ever get to that point being able to walk past a dog. And then they're walking past, they're sitting, they're dropping, and they're just so amazed. And you're like, see, just takes a little bit of commitment, a little bit of time and continuation, and they're doing it. And it's so, it's really rewarding. And I guess that's probably why I like the group classes, because you get to see them kind of building that friendship and working with each other to 
get better results and not just doing the one hour a week class that they've booked into. They're kind of seeing each other on walks and exactly. doing all that type of stuff. And it's so cool. Like yesterday I said, all right, cool. I'm going to get you five to let get your dogs in the down and we're going to get the rest of the dogs to walk past and then we're going to swap the dogs over. You're going to be having your dogs in the down. We're going to walk past and half the people's face were like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Put the dog in the down and the dogs are going to walk past. Like they were like going to start going pale and they're going to pass out. I'm like, it's all good. Relax. We did it. Dogs walked past. It was like a meter and a half distance between them. And like, and I'm like, look, it just happened. And nothing happened. Now, I'm not saying, look at you, what's wrong with you? It's that, look what happens that now you you just achieve something that you thought you was impossible or that you thought was very difficult. The belief and setting that belief, once you have that belief and seeing that it worked, you are now going to try to replicate that again. But because yeah. you haven't had that experience and you didn't even think, well, first of all, you've never even tried, but now we got to try it and now we've got another three more weeks of practicing this and you can come again. It's not like you you don't come once and you don't come again. So you practice it. And then one, and my, and our job as trainers is it to get rid of our clients. We're not trying to keep them. I want to see you as little as I need to, you know, hopefully in a positive way. So you don't need me anymore. And then you can go live your life in a good way. Yes. Yes. It's, we, we don't not want you, but we want you to be able to go and not need us pretty much. Is what exactly. We want. And if you want to listen to my voice, then just, you know, sign up, like listen to the podcast and you can listen to me every week, right? <laughs> <laughs> so um, one of the things that you wanted to talk about was barking stigma with muzzle and crate. So Elaborate. I, so like with that, what I was getting at is I always get a big judgment of muzzles. Like mm-hmm. seen it, I'm, everyone sees it. There's a lot of people that are like, oh, muzzles mean the dog's aggressive or muzzle takes away their defensive mechanism and all of that. But I want to start educating people to show them that muzzles are actually like a great tool. And it shouldn't just be the dogs that do have a little bit of fear aggression or a little bit of nippiness when socializing. I always recommend puppies muzzle train straight away. They may need it later on or they may never need it, but at least then it's not something that, they're like, well, what are you trying to put on my face in a situation that they do need it? Because the the majority of dogs that need to get their nails clipped and then get a little bit sensitive about that, and then you've got to shove a muzzle on them. Or the majority of dogs that need grooming because there's so many cavoodles and oodles out there anymore, and they might be a little bit nervous of that. You want them to feel comfortable with the muzzle on, not a negative. You may have your Border Collies or your Kelpies. I have a Kelpie. And they're nippy when they socialize to start off with because they just don't know how to deal with their emotions around a lot of dogs and things like that. So you want to be able to socialize them safely, but also keep the other dogs safe and still work on that instead of making it a negative and just never doing it because you're like, oh, they might nip a dog or something. Exactly. So like, and I like, even with like first time clients, I always bring it up. I'm always like, I think muzzle training is a good idea because I can already see this little cattle dog puppy being nippy. And I think it's just something that we're going to need as we start to show them how to do socialization and social cues correctly. And a lot of people are like, oh, but that's, he's not aggressive. And I'm like, no, he's not aggressive. Like, that's exactly right. It's not, it's just another tool. Yeah. Like a collar, like a lead. It's like, like a long line. It's like a flirt pole. It's just another tool for your dog to use to build success in their training. So I think like, 
that is where I was going with like the muzzle and then the same with the crate. Well, before you go to the crate, I want to say something about the muzzle and I think it was really important is that something that I was explaining to a client earlier today was there was a, I was explaining this experiment that I heard about where they had two dogs, an electrified floor, one of the puppies had the option to turn off the this stimulation by hitting the bed or hitting some sort of button and the other one had no option of turning it off. They hit, they electrified the floor, both dogs were f- brushing around the room one of them found a way to turn off the stimulation the stimulus the other one had no option and just lay there and copped it then they did this over and over again the dog that had the option would run away straight away towards the way to um to turn off the pressure and would turn it off and the other one would just lay there in learn helplessness then they did this over and over again then a year later they got those two dogs and chucked and they've never been exposed to a pool before they chucked both dogs into the water the one that had learned to turn off the the um, undesirable um, electricity found a way out and continued to try where the other one did not even try and just sank to the floor in like learn helplessness. So my, the point there is that if we can put our dogs through different pressures and teach our dogs how to move through pressure, whether it's conditioning a muzzle, whether it's conditioning the crate, whether it's just doing basic training, teaching leash pressure and everything else, our dogs over time in my theory and estimation and experience will we'll be able to cross-culture that into other areas. Well, an undesirable situation happened and our dog learned how to move through it. And you would say something similar from the muzzle, even though the dog may never need to wear a muzzle, but teaching how to wear the muzzle gets them used to having something uncomfortable over their face, which then means they have more trust in us, they have more trust in a new experience. And, of course, just as you said, you may never know when you need to use it, which can be really important. I do want to talk about muzzle conditioning before we talk about the crate, but I need to stop this and then start it on again because something's happening on my end. So give me one moment and hold that thought. One thing I want to talk about, and Fiona, who works for me, um, says, hey, on your podcast, you guys need to talk about muzzle conditioning. So I would like to just have a brief talk about what does muzzle conditioning even mean. And for most people that are listening, and we mentioned, and we were just talking about before we had any some of our, some of our technical difficulties, is um, what does that even mean? You can't just shove a muzzle on a dog and clip it on and be like, all right, you're dealing with this now wrapped around your face because dogs hate that. It's very bad. If you do it the first time, they're probably not going to like it the second time. And if your dog bites, has a bite history, he's probably going to bite you the next time you try to put the muzzle on, which is quite ironic. I could talk a little bit about it, but in your experience, what is muzzle conditioning and what are the first maybe five steps of what we could do? And maybe it's a good place to begin. And then, of course, if people need a explore muzzle condition they can look further into what that actually means because there's heaps of information out there yeah so muzzle conditioning i guess is kind of conditioning the dog to see the muzzle as a positive and not just some random thing getting shoved on its face and as you said like if you have a dog that like there's reasons for muzzling there's a good chance that it's probably going to be a spicy one that's probably going to turn around and nail you if you don't get it right the first time so you kind of want to make them work towards or shape the behavior of putting their muzzle in the muzzle, right? Um, So, like, I always use your stock standard Baskerville muzzle, but there's so many muscles out there. However, I just like the Baskerville because it's very easy to get your hands onto because a lot of pet shops stock them. Um, They're quite malleable in the way that they can fit to a lot of different breeds. Um, 
muzzles and things like that. And they are quite easy to use for trainers and clients with their obviously holes where you can shove the treats and different sausages and all of that type of thing to get the dogs able to muzzle condition correctly. So, agreed. To start off with, I usually, I don't know if you've heard of this technique, you probably have because it's been around for a while, but I'll get two of the same size muzzle and I'll usually cut the front off the muzzle mm. so that- I haven't it's, actually. It's a good one. It's it's just um, like the nose part of the muzzle so that like it's not fully caged in yet, especially with like nervy, nervy dogs. It's very daunting kind of putting their face in something that sits right up under their eyes so i kind of just have that there and i'll just reward for them so you mean not the not where the point connects to their face you're talking about the end of the muzzle yeah you cut the end of the muzzle off um and you kind of just get them used to that idea and Mm -hmm. i've seen um so like you would know trish who used to work at pet results and canine evolution she's who i learned this off um and she would do like all the way back and then she would slowly so she'd buy a few different muzzles and it is expensive obviously doing it this way but if you do have quite a nervy dog that's a little bit head shy and stuff it's definitely the right way to do it or you can just do a half cut off and then a full one which works really well as well so then you don't have to go through 50 different size <laughs> muzzles yeah. to get yeah. to the end result um so i would do that and then i would start to um I like to cut like my Devon or my Prime 100 or whatever into like little um, chip size strips so that it goes straight in and makes it easier for the dog just so that they're getting the treat out of there. Um, And then I would start to obviously cut that down so that they start to push their nose into the muzzle and feel that kind of around their face and that pressure and then build from there um, with obviously adding pressure to the back of their head whilst they're eating so that I'm not doing the strap up straight away because that always freaks them out. Um, and I I find a lot of people kind of get stuck with building duration in the muzzle and conditioning because it's head in, yes, reward, head in, yes, reward. So it's about kind of making sure that you're getting them to hold their face in before marking straight away all the time because yeah. otherwise yeah. you get like the little duck that they do and yes. then people, yes. they can't seem to get past that point because they're like, yes, Yes, yes. And you're like, no, let's build on that so that they actually feel this. Um, And what I like to do with that to make it a little bit like easier for the handler to build that is I'll say paint like peanut butter or, you know, the Kong like spray cheese, Mm, like inside. So then the dog's like licking it and feeling that there because that's not just like a piece of kibble where they can just be like, no, gone. Um, obviously use the dog safe peanut butter, everyone. I'm just, we'll just say that. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> just so good people point. don't go using the wrong peanut butter and things happen. Um, and then start to obviously slowly build the duration of doing it up. I kind of like that they've changed their Baskerville muzzles to the clip now because mm-hmm. when it was the mm-hmm. buckle, Oh my God. It was very hard to kind of do it by yourself and like reward and then try and do the buckle up with one hand. Yes. They have the clip now, which makes it a lot easier. And I would recommend doing it super loose to start off with and then slowly tighten because the pressure around the back of the ears is where they're like, get it off my face. Mm -hmm. Um, And then kind of start to bring it into like day to day. Don't always pair your muzzle with 
what you're doing. So, for example, like if you're using it mainly for socialization, don't just only ever put it on for a socialization session. Or if you're going to the vet, because then you're building that um, conditioned response that something's going to happen and then they get all like antsy or they're like, oh, no, that means I'm going to the vet or the groomer. Just do a session with them sitting on their place with their muzzle on at home or go for a walk with their muzzle on. Don't just put it to one like um, environment or thing that you're doing because that's yeah. what ruins your muzzle training because everyone starts out like, yeah, 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 we were doing, we we're doing it, but we've only ever used it when we went to the vet and then yeah. it's a negative yeah. and I'm like, okay, we've got to start again. Well, again, <laughs> part of desensitization on. is to show that there's a muzzle on, so what? It's just like putting the leash on. You don't only put the leash on when you're going to go to the scary environment. You put the leash on even just for doing some training in the backyard. So the leash, the tra- tree pouch, the muzzle are all one of the same thing. We all have to do these things in order for you to get food. So there was like, hurry yeah. up, put that bloody muzzle on, let's do our training. Yeah, because you yeah. want them to yeah. kind of just – because, like, you see it a lot with, like, the leash. A lot of people are like, oh, as soon as I pick up the leash, they lose their mind. I'm like, yeah, that's because you've only paired it with them finally getting to leave the backyard. And they're like, oh. And I'm like, yeah, so it's it's not technically a communication tool at this point. It's like my freedom tool. It's like the key to freedom. And then they're losing yes. their mind. So use the lead when you're just in the house. Like, don't pair it with a feeling as such. Pair it with... Just it means nothing. It could yep. mean we're going for a walk. It could mean we're going to the vet, that type of stuff. That's probably the biggest thing with all of your training. Yeah. Trying yeah. to do different environments and different like even in the environments, it has to be in the morning, at night time, when it's raining, when it's storming. Like they they learn in pictures. It's not just I know it, so I'll know it everywhere. Very, very good points there. Actually, in fact, I've never heard about the cutting of the muzzle off thing that you've just taught me something new today. So I'm really, really happy about that. Well, I, I got it from Trish. Um, Thank you, Trish. She showed me, yeah, she showed me that one. Um, and I think it's actually really like it's something that I've used like so much. So it's definitely a good one. If anyone's struggling with their muzzle, go buy another one the same size, cut the front off and build it from there Mm. so that it's more of a positive situation instead of – because some dogs are head shy. Some dogs don't like putting their nose in things. Um, So it's it's like building confidence in it. It's a confidence-building exercise pretty much. I've been wanting to do a muzzle conditioning video with Chili because I've never muzzle conditioned him and I have no need to muzzle condition him, but I want to do it to make a video so that I can at least show – like, you know, get my clients to look at it because at the moment I've got a few other videos that um, of other people that have done it. I just send that to them. But like, hey, do this. I know I've showed you what to do, but I, I'm only with you for an hour today. I can't show you what you should do over the next two weeks. So um, so I, I've been meaning to do it, and I've done it plenty of times with dogs and gone through every single one of the process. The thing that I did, which is like the, the normal way of doing it or like the traditional way, I guess, is like the upside-down party hat. You just shove food in the at the bottom of the muzzle. you got your hand down there. Every time your dog puts their face into the muzzle, they start getting fed. Having the end cut off means that it becomes so much more nice and the dog's not getting any sensation at the tip of their nose. So I really yeah. like that. that. That's awesome. And – but basically, the point of muzzle conditioning is so that your dog learns that putting their face in the muzzle is a positive association. It becomes just a neutral thing over time. And 
it can become daunting, especially when you do end up clipping the muzzle on and, you know, strapping it over the top of their forehead and you've got onto their collar. So there's three points of contact. When that dog starts trying to get it off their dew claw, I've seen dogs like, you know, destroy their dew claw, completely tear it off. And then you're trying to get the dog to stop and then you're correcting the dog on top of it. Like it gets, it gets a very ugly situation. You take, and then if that dog gets the muzzle off, then he's like, sweet, I'll never ever wear it again. And it's a really important tool especially if your dog does bite other dogs or other people you really want to utilize that muzzle to be just another thing that your dog's wearing so if a dog that's five years old has never worn a collar before and you chuck a collar and a leash on that i can guarantee that dog's gonna freak out like 100 so i think it's really important you make up you give some really good points so there's a couple of big um, initial steps to to consider with muzzle conditioning that was awesome um let's talk a little bit about the crate and yep. So many people, I, I think in the last couple of years, I think crate training has been like, I just, I mentioned a crate and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been doing it. And I'm like, oh, like, yeah, our puppy's 15 weeks old and sleeps all night in it and doesn't pee and poo in it and can go all night. And now we let him out in the morning. It's the most amazing thing in the world. Or sometimes I need to do a little bit of convincing. Yes. you got to yeah. put your dog in a cage. And, but once they do it, like, you know, nine times out of 10 people are like, oh my God, why didn't I do this before? This is the most amazing thing, especially yeah. people that live in apartments. I think it's a no-brainer. You must crate train your dog. But I think all dogs should have the ability to be able to be crate trained. And you can correct me if I, if if you think I'm wrong. But I think if we can crate train a dog up until 12 months old, and then let's just say you, you loosen up and you don't need to always put the dog in a crate, at least your dog knows what a crate is for the unfortunate situation of like a surgery or having to visit a vet or a groomer. You want to go down the coast and you want to put your dog in a crate so you don't leave him in a random backyard. Um, I think if you can do up to that, up to that 12 months, and your dog understands what it is, and you do it from time to time, occasionally, and then your dog understands what it is. It stops with, it helps with like separation, distress, and anxiety. You're managing your dog if you have a massive party and you can't leave your dog in the backyard because you know for whatever reason. But would you agree with the same sort of sort of idea? Yeah, yeah, I definitely like agree with. The dog should learn how to do it, so yep. it needs to just again become something that they know and they can use. Um, but it's not something that I'm like, it has to be great trained forever. Like I mm-hmm. I like the 12-month type of rule because they then become conditioned to it. It just becomes like another behavior that they can do. Um, and it's, again, like it's a safety thing. Like I used to, as you said, you may have a party and people coming in and out. Like you then know the dog's in the crate. It's calm. It can relax. Or you might be going camping. The dog's going to stay in the crate whilst you're at the fire it's not running around in the bush, disappearing, all of that. Like it's just something that I find helps people's like so much with their like calmness with having a dog and being able to take it with them because instead of just leaving it in the backyard, just pop the crate in the car. It can come with us to people's house, all of that. If you have obviously dog friends, some people don't like the dog coming everywhere, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we're not we're not friends with those people. No, exactly. But, like, it makes it a little bit easier to have that dog a part of the family, but also as, like, a puppy, oh, my God, crate training just helps with the overall, like, if you're working during the day at home and you don't want it kind of just running around destroying things, it can be in the crate for, like, 20, 30 minutes while it's relaxing, toilet training over the night because, like, it's so annoying when you're trying to raise a puppy. I haven't done it in a while, but I get a lot of um, puppies that I have to – crate train for a client because they just can't deal with the initial stress of crate mm-hmm. training. Um, 
And once you do it for them, they're like, oh, my God, like we can actually sleep through the night. It's learnt to hold its bladder, the toilet training so much better. Um, And I just think like there's a big stigma with some people. Like it's definitely gotten better. So many people are like, yeah, I've already got the crate. And I'm like, what? But some people are like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. And then I'm always – trying to be like it's a it's like their little bedroom it's their safe spot for them to go to retreat to in a situation it keeps them calm it also helps teach a dog how to turn off especially if you have one of like a nutbag kelpie like myself um where they're just kind of like go 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 it kind of helps with that condition relaxation and being able to not have a dinner party and have to be like on your bed on your bed and like mm-hmm fussing about the dog you can just like i'm just going to put the dog in the crate it's just going to have like a yaki bar or something to chew on and i can check on it um and like noodles now five and she's she opts to sleep in the crate like i don't even shut the door she just goes in there like i'm like i'm going to bed and she'll put herself in the crate i try and get her to sleep on the bed she doesn't want a bar of it she'll come up for 10 seconds and then just like i hear the crate rattle she just popped herself back in the bed and it's just like such a comfy spot for her now like and then with like because she's storm phobic it's so conditioned as her like safe space if there's a little bit of storm she puts herself in the crate and i just shut the door so it has some really really valuable things but it's definitely not something that you have to forever crate your dog it's just yeah. something that yeah. you can always like recharge if it's happy sleeping on the like floor next to the bed or something like that or people that had the dog before they had kids like crate training is so important when you have kids to set boundaries and safety when the kid the kid's eating or the dog's eating you can just be like okay this is not allowed near the crate and all of that so it's definitely something I feel really strongly about and it is hard like some people don't want to do it and then six months down the track they're like oh do you think it's too late and I'm like no it's not too late it's just going to be that little bit harder (laughs) but we can definitely get there um and then I can see why people don't like it as well just because like it's an eyesore like having a giant crate like one of my um clients has a puppy great dane and it started as a small crate and now it's like ginormous (laughs) it's like it's like a spare room in the lounge room and they're like, it's so big, but like, it's just for his safety because he's so gangly and mm-hmm. jumps on things. And like, it's just a good little safe spot for him, but it's quite, it's quite large. I feel like I could sit in it, to be honest. It's you could definitely probably sit in it for a great day for sure. Yeah. I, yeah. I remember because I've got every single size crate and I remember, I remember when I got chilly, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to like put the large crate in the back of the canopy and I couldn't even install it in there because yeah. like it takes up the whole thing. I'm like, I may as well just put the dog in the canopy of the ute. So I ended up buying, no, that was the extra large one I had. So I ended up buying the large and then that would fit nicely. I can put a box next to the crate and, and I use yeah. the crate inside the back of the canopy. I can't really keep him there on a really hot day and my car yeah. is like charcoal gray and it gets so hot. But if he's like running in the mud or he's dirty for whatever reason, chuck him in the back of the crate. I don't have to deal with it. When most of the time he sits in the back seat, I can even on a hot day just keep the aircon running while I'm at a session because Chili's with me. We leave the house at nine. We don't get back till seven most days. Yeah. So it's really hard to manage him. But 
having the crate there and also like being able to show clients, hey, look, my dog's in the crate right now. And like, that's what it means. And they're like, oh my God, look how happy and calm he is. And they see me, I bring him out. I do a training session. We go for a walk. They can see how high drive he is. The moment he goes to that crate and the doors close, he's like, bah, he's gone to sleep almost. Condition relaxation yeah. so important. And I think Luke, when he, I saw a screenshot of him sending to you, because he sent me like what you guys were talking about. And I didn't know that our crate training episode was like the second most popular video yeah, or podcast. Really that's really cool. Um, so anyone who's listening to this, who doesn't know what crate training is and we've explained it, but I'll give you a couple of initial steps on how to initially start the crate training process and maybe a little bit extra convincing. If you need any more convincing, go check that one out. Um, so yeah, I think that there is a stigma. There was, I remember 10 years ago, I didn't even, I didn't even recommend crates. I thought, it was not even something that I even really thought about, to be honest. But over yeah, the but years, as I became more and more well-versed with what we're doing, the crate has become like a godsend in so many ways. And the fact that it's become a popular thing, which is kind of surprising, has made me very happy. So um, I think that's really awesome. Another thing yeah, you yeah. want to talk about was the stigma of tug with your dog and what people and the old myths of what that means. Explain to the listeners what that means and how can we bust this myth? So I I get a lot as like a person that worked and works with a lot of reactivity or aggression or um, prey drive type of dogs that tugging with your dog makes them aggressive. And I think there is some cases that it can definitely heighten it if not done correctly, but it's definitely not something that if you tug with your dog, it's going to turn around and they're going to try and like take your jugular out and turn from this like lovely dog into this demon dog just because you're tugging with it. In natural fact, it's probably going to make them stop doing the demon-like behaviors because (laughs) it's an outlet for what they need to be doing. And I know like a lot of people are like, oh, but that's what someone said or that's what my vet said or something like that. And I get that. And everyone has different perspectives and opinions and like I'm not here to be like that's wrong or anything like that it may be for your dog or it may not for your dog but coming from someone that's worked with a lot of unfulfilled dogs playing with your dog is one of the best ways to kind of get rid of boredom busting behaviors and destructive behaviors and attention seeking behaviors because they're just trying to get all of that energy out of them Mm-hmm. but they're doing it in a shitty way because they don't have the outlet. Totally. So um, Jay Jack is someone that like I learn a lot of like how to play with your dog and everything from and he really like showed me how to kind of do sensible play with your dog and teach like um, the op- opportunities of the windows and all of that. So that's definitely something I would recommend for anyone that's struggling teach your dog to play or how to get them to play, go look at J-Jack or Jazz Whiting, all of those type of people that they really do a lot of play with their dogs. Um, And just like kind of think about like what's your dog born for? Like the biggest thing when someone gets a puppy and they're like, oh, I got this puppy. And I'm like, okay, what what was it bred for? They're like, oh, it was bred to be cute. And I was like, "Mm." (laughs) Maybe now, but, like, go back and do a little bit of research. And, like, pretty much every dog, I would say, was born for a purpose, like, bred for a purpose. Like, 
they they're either hurting, they're either um, hunting. There's there's something that there's in there that's going to come out as innate behavior, and they're going to want to do it. So if we can kind of give them that outlet through playing tug or using a prey or flirt pole or um, doing scent games and things like that, there's there's a likelihood that your shitty barking in the backyard or digging or pulling clothes off the line, that type of behaviors will start to decrease because they're getting fulfilled. Um, And I think like the stigma that like, oh no, that person said it's going to increase aggression. They just kind of haven't been educated enough to see the other side of it and how you can kind of use toy control and toy games and things like that and use it as obedience and reward with your toy and teaching it out and teaching to leave it and having all of that kind of control can kind of help with overall boundaries with your dog, which is really, really cool once you start to get it. And it can be hard. Like it's taken me, I would say, (laughs) a year and a bit to get Noodle not to like lose her mind when she sees a ball. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But now like I can use that as a jackpot and she's super happy to work for a ball now. She used to just hurt eyes would just dilate and she'd just see a million balls when I'd pick up a ball. Um, but it doesn't mean that like it's going to make her like if I chuck it and she chases it, it's not going to increase her chasing like a dog that's running. It's going to decrease it because she's getting time to do it. Exactly. But in a, exactly. in a safe environment. It's like saying, oh, I go jiu-jitsu, boxing, MMA, kickboxing, whatever. We'll talk about martial arts or even football, mm-hmm. for example. It's yep. like saying every every single person who participates in that activity is going to go out in the street and kick people and choke people and tackle them. It's like it's ridiculous because actually, in fact, most of the – even the world-class fighters and most people who have been trained in those activities – are less likely to get into a fight on the street because, first of all, they've got a place to fulfil the activity and we are hunter-gatherers by nature and we want to fight and and kill things as part of our nature, even by as humans and some people more than others. And if you have that inclination to, to, um, to have that expression, then how about you do it in a controlled environment where you can be fulfilled so that the next time someone stares you down and calls you a name, you're like, just relax, buddy. It's all good. Now, first of all, I've got the confidence to know that I don't have, I'm not insecure. I don't have to fight you. That's a little bit different, but it's more about, I don't, I'm not looking for an opportunity to fulfill this because I'm going to get a three times a week of training. And, yeah. and I think same with the dog, like, so with um, Chili and just for everyone to understand, I believe it, you should use food to teach behaviors. Once you have a behavior on a verbal command and your dog is inclined to play tug or to chase a ball, again, the dog chooses the reward. If the dog, you can't force a dog to play tug. If a dog's not playing tug, he ain't playing tug, right? But if he, if you know that he likes to play tug, that tug, first of all, can't be f- accessible in the backyard. It can't just be laying around. Your ball yeah. and your tug should be something that you own and that you present it after giving a marker to tell him, I like your behavior. I called you to come. I told you to lay down, told you to come to my middle, whatever command it is. Here's your marker. I'm not going to say it because my dog's pulling out the other side of the door there and he probably barge his head through the door if I said it. But I give the marker and we play this game. Playing the game means that you're getting all that that fulfillment within the activity and that impulse control of drop it, play with it, drop it, down, come, 
play with it. And then now we tell you finished. The dog's so gassed. And after five or seven minutes of playing tug, like proper tug, even yours worked up a sweat. And you're like, wow, this is exciting. And also the the enrichment and the and the bonding you get from you and your dog is amazing. So it's it's ridiculous to even I think it's something that someone sees a dog playing tug, they hear them growling and thrashing, and they're going, Oh my god, that's definitely gonna make them aggressive. It's like such a ridiculous thing to say but again if you don't know anything you have you, you, like you know you'd watch ufc fighters and gone oh look at those killers like they're assassins they're going to go out and do this to people on the street if you have nothing if you have no experience or no knowledge of course that's what you're going to think but i think once you have the experience you're like oh no actually in fact when my dog goes to chase that rabbit and i tell him to come and he's associated the recall with the potential for a tug at the end of that recall. He's not, he's going to, he actually, and this is a true story. I probably said it way too many times on the podcast, left the rabbit, came to me to potentially play tug, which is ironic because when I play tug, that's him trying to kill something, but he could have killed the real thing, but he left the real thing to come to me to play the fake thing, which yeah. is an amazing part of conditioning, right? So good point that you brought up. I think that's amazing. Yeah, definitely. The last thing that we have on our list here is talking about trainers having to support each other. And I think, well, I guess we do that as much as we can, trying to get as many trainers on um, on the podcast. And, you know, we're here to explore different ideas. And actually, in fact, there was one thing that I always refer to the last time that we had you on where you're like, I, I don't even walk my dogs, really. I just do. I focus on training. And that's how my dogs get fulfilled. Not that you never walk your dogs, but you focus on training as being the most um, enticing and the most fulfilling activity that you and your dogs do. And we're all about giving your dog a job comes in two ways in a domestic form, because of course all dogs were designed to have some sort of purpose and job, but in the domestic role, it's lucid walking and obedience training is the best job that we can give our dogs for their mind and body. And when you said we don't have to walk them as long as you're training them. Now, not, not most people are going to train your dogs to the, to the um, standard that you train your dogs. But if we can encourage like, hey, when we go for a walk, you know, walking and giving your dog a job and telling him you got to follow obedience because you're going to walk your dog anyway. Most people are going to walk the dog. May as well not make it a shit show and a holiday for your dog. Make it an activity and a purposeful act um, thing that they need to do. So I guess my point here is that we can come up with conf- – not, not that it's conflicting by all means, I think – we're all talking about the same thing, just go to different ways to come to this, coming to the center of it. It's just that we've got to support each other because we all got different ideas. I learned something new today talking to you. I've learned quite a few different things, actually. The muzzle thing and the cutting of the muzzle off, I think that was like the most important thing I've learned today. And I think what's most imp- – how the hell is this – sorry, me and my Zoom situation here is really annoying me. But anyway, it is what it is. We're going to deal with that later. So, um, so basically – Yes, we must support each other, even though we may not be always advocating the most exact, like, well, he didn't say the way I said it, but if we can advocate for each other, go that, hey, look, I put on the best person for the job, but I think this person over there is the best person for the job. Or even it's like, look, yeah, you've po- you, let's just say, yes, you've seen Kano. I'm here now and you've come to see me. I don't know why you're seeing me. She's competent. She's actually, everything that you've said is everything that I think you should be doing. And- when it comes to like a client, it's like it's like everyone wants to like hustle and get all the jobs for themselves. You have not got enough manpower to service all the dogs. And on top of that, we have people that disagree with our technique. So we have to like fight them in like if, if there was a battle or if there was a war, 
there's like many different conflicting ideas of training and we need to stick together. Otherwise, as we said, and we kind of previously mentioned before, we've got policies and politics and all the rest of the emotive and emotional sort of agenda that's occurring. We, we, if we don't stick together and create some sort of like union or whatever it is that we need to do, we will get taken out and we're not going to even want to participate in the industry the way that it could be going. So, um, I think it's so important that we do do that, but what are your thoughts and what compelled you to want to be able to speak about that? I guess there's just um, like with trainers, as you said, we're such a niche market. Like every time I'm like, oh, I'm a dog trainer, people are just like, oh, my God, that's like such a weird job. And I'm like, well, not really, but it's definitely not a normal, normalized job. So we're so such a small community that we need to make sure that like as you said, we are, if I can't handle that dog, referring to you or referring to canine evolution and just making sure that, like, we're not gatekeeping all of the clients. Like, there's no need. There is so many dogs, especially since COVID, that everyone, there's enough dogs for everyone. And, like, I'm working with Jenny Dryden now up at um, Working Paws Rescue and helping with um, her daycare and stuff like that. And she puts on a lot of different trainers from a lot of different companies because every dog's different and they may work differently with the different handler. And we're kind of making like a little like community of trainers on the coast to be like, okay, like I don't have availability. This person may, or I might not be able to take that type of dog. And like you said, like I don't have the facility for board and train. So it's, obviously send them to canine evolution or send them down to because i know you were doing a little bit of board and train back in the day and just kind of seeing who's out there and making sure that we're not kind of like we've as you said we've already got a lot of people on our back (laughs) we don't need to be fighting amongst our similarities we need to be making sure that we're like building each other up and just like supporting everyone as much as possible in this industry. And like we see it a lot at seminars. Like it's so great when everyone kind of comes together and things like that. But it's one of those things that like, yeah, I may do things differently to another trainer, but that doesn't mean I'm any worse or I'm a bad trainer because I did it this way. And that's just the way that I do it. So they might do it differently or we might be the same and it just might be that person didn't click with that trainer. So they're like, oh, I didn't really like the way they were with the dog or something like that. So I think just making sure that we're all on the same team because at the end of the day, our goal is to help the dog. Yep. Like that's, we all have the same goal. That's literally what we're here to do. And if we can kind of, um, like use each other as much as possible to learn from each other. So like I've recently been going down and um, working with Nad um, from Pups Academy and kind of like doing lessons with her and then also working with um, Cassidy's Clever Canines and kind of seeing how she does things and just making sure that like it's not just my I know things that no yeah. one can see and like I'm going to gatekeep what I've known and things like that. Like that's not like Google it. Like there's so many things online that you can learn anyway. Like there's no point trying to hide what you know. The better to like teach each other and learn from each other is probably what I wanted to bring up. Like like with the muzzle thing, like you've learned that. I didn't ask you to pay me $300. Send me the invoice. <laughs> <laughs> but like that's like it's just like 
people are going to come to trainers no matter what and it doesn't matter if like you're not sharing your information online or you're not kind of like putting up like teaching videos and stuff like that they're still going to come to you they're still not going to come to you whatever just support each other as much as possible so there's no negativity because we've already got as you said we've got policies and procedures and government bodies trying to control us as much as possible we kind of need to stand together as much as possible hey you can literally listen to not that i know everything but you listen to every episode of this podcast and you can like basically train your dog i've given every single (laughs) thing that i do i i know it's limited in audio and even in some videos that we do even if you saw every single video and every single audio you can listen to all of this stuff and you can basically train your dog i remember i went to one client's house and um and she's awesome her name's angie with a dog named gunner Still comes at every one of our group classes, really committed owner, awesome, awesome chick. And I rocked up and seven months old and the dog's doing all this stuff. I'm like, oh, you're doing really, really well. I'm like, where'd you learn? And she goes, I've just listened to all your episodes, your podcasts I've been putting into practice. I'm like, this is amazing. Okay, you don't even need me, even though there was things that we needed to improve and work on. But like, yeah, I'll give it all away. I'm happy to give it away. I've given it all away. It doesn't mean that I've put myself out of a job, actually. And I think that's where a lot of people are scared. There's n- get out yeah, of that scarcity of mindset. Um, the more you can give away, the more that you, and all the more that you can connect with other uh, um, trainers and you know collaborate as much as possible. I think that just it's going to benefit you. It's going to benefit the dogs ultimately, and I think it's going to improve the industry as a whole because there's so much potential in in, over the next you know couple of decades we've got so much to to improve and if we can make you know especially in australia if we can make training a bit more of a of a of a thing like the sporting world and the working world if we can improve that and i think people like me and you over the next you know couple of decades you know we can be the bastions for that as well because we are the 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 next generation so to speak and 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 we've got enough experience and, and we know enough people that i think we should be working together so we can make it a much more cooler industry. So, um, wise, wise words that that you've um put out there. Hey, Ken, it's been awesome tonight. Thank you so much for coming on. Apologies for my lack of um, productive production skills, and and um, there's been a couple of issues here uh, on my end, but it's all right. Luke will kind of teach me when I speak to him later uh, later on tomorrow. But um, thank you so much for coming on and um, sharing your wisdom. And can you give us a plug on where people that could, that people can find you, and also your business name, etc. Yep. So I'm on social media. So it's educated canine dog training. So on Facebook and Instagram. Canine um, with a K, canine or canine spelt? Spelt with it like C A N I N. Beautiful. <laughs> um, and if anyone wants to get in contact, just message me on that or you can just email me at educated canine dog training at gmail.com. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty much full on with the Instagram more than the Facebook just because. I feel like it's a lot the way of the world. <laughs> yeah, Instagram's the one. Um, but I'm always pretty quick to reply and things like that. And anyone that wants to kind of work with me as trainers and things like that, let me know. I'm happy to come down and work with you guys or get you guys to come up and work on clients together. In what area are you servicing as well? So I'm doing Newcastle, Central Coast and Sydney. Um, and it's more of like a part-time thing at the moment. As I said, I'm kind of slowly getting back into training as much as possible with my own business now. Um, but I'm always making sure that I'm available where I can. Well, you're awesome. And 
good luck with everything to come and for your wedding next year as well. Very exciting times. So many new chapters um, that, that are coming your way. So um, good luck with it all. And I'm sure we're going to get you back on the show um, maybe sometime next year. Let's let's organize a date. Yeah, let's do it. Perfect. It speaking with you. You're very welcome. Likewise. Have a good night. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Life With Your Dog. Please share with your friends if you're enjoying our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, Life With Your Dog Podcast. My name's Panos, and to keep up with my dog training adventures, tips and techniques, you can find me on Instagram at np underscore dog underscore training, my website, npdogtraining.com, or my YouTube channel, Nutris Pooches. Thanks for listening, guys. My name is Luke. If you'd like to find out more about my dog training services, you can find me at www.kizuna, that's K-I-Z-U-N-A, canine, C-A-N-I-N-E, dot com, dot A-U. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at Kizuna Canine Training. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.